came in like a missile, like a fireball missile across from the New York Harbor side, I guess from the Newark direction. It came in like a spear, just speared through the building like a fireball. I've never seen war up close, but today I have. It's just this sound, this rumble. This mass cloud coming at us. It's intense. All right, good evening, everyone. Good evening. Um, praise God for, good evening. Praise God for the continuation of the seminar. Um, I really pray that everyone has been blessed thus far. And by the, by the grace of God, we hope to continue um, the blessing that the Lord has bestowed upon us, which is an understanding of His Word and also evidence um, to, to what his word is doing for those who receive it. Hopefully we're seeing changes in our character and changes in our attitude, for this is the sure evidence that this is indeed God's word. Not, not the outward things, but the inward working um, of his spirit. Okay. So I pray that we're being blessed in this manner. And tonight we're going to continue in the notes um, that we're looking in. And we're on the, bo the bottom of page 42. Bottom of page 42, part 5. That's yeah. it. So let us open up with a silent word of prayer. Amen. Um, for the past few days, we've been um, supplying evidences to the reasons of our faith as to why we are Seventh-day Adventists and, and, and why we understand things the way we do. Yesterday, my brother left off when going over the time of the end and showing the spiritual aspect of it and going into the, to the lessons of it. And this, even for this portion of presentation, um, I just want to go over some basic rules as to why we come to some of the understanding in which we do while, while refreshing us on the things that have been taught. And because as um, I pray that will join us every meeting after this one, which is only a day on preparation day and Sabbath, um, we, the Lord is going to, I believe the Lord is going to bless us greatly. And um, hopefully what we go over today will prepare us for what he's going to bless us with and the, the, light, the, the, the light he's going to shed up on our pathway. Um, so this week we began with showing that prophecy is the foundation of our faith or, or helps us to understand the foundation of our faith. And we want to start right back there where we left off beginning this week. And in our notes, we, if, you, if we remember, we were going over Hebrews 11, um, verse 1 and 6, where Paul says to us that now faith is the substance of things. What does he say? Hope for. We're going to focus right here for a little bit. Faith is we're going to park right here and we're going to see Faith is a substance, substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Without evidence, we don't have anything to hope for. If God does not supply evidence for our faith, what are we hoping for? Amen. The evidence gives us the thing in which we hope for. So, all right, 
So before man fell, there was nothing for man to hope for. Man had everything he needed to satisfy his life, to, to sustain life, and he had all the evidence that God is. Creation spoke to his intellect every day. There was nothing barring him from understand God and, and the, the God's plans up to the point in where they were. Nothing was stopping them. But one day, one day, a, a, a deceiver entered into the garden, and that's a mystery in itself. He entered into God in Genesis chapter 3, and he gave man and woman a false hope. He told man that they can hope for life in transgression. And our first parents fell for this lie that, that life can be sustained by breaking God's law. And Eve set her all her desire upon these words, and she found out that there is no hope. There is no life in sinning against God. She found out the hard way. Adam joined her in this rebellion, and both of them became hopeless. They went from comfort to hopeless. Now they have no more comfort. Now they need comfort. And they thought that they can comfort themselves by covering themselves with fig leaves. But it brought no comfort. They were still missing something. You can't cover sin with natural things. Natural things only hide natural things. But when we sin against God, we're sinning against Him naturally and spiritually. So they had no way of restoring a connection with God. But praise God. God gave them something to hope for. Amen. Jesus came in Genesis chapter 3, verse 11 and onwards, I believe, and Jesus gave our first parents something to hope for. Adam and Eve were now, they were now in need of life because the commandment says they should die. And, and all they could look forward to was death. They didn't know what death really is because they never seen it. They never understood it, but they know it meant something, but there was no evidence to support the fact that they were going to die and that, and that they can have anything. So that first day, Jesus made Adam sacrifice a lamb. Adam was the first one to take the life of an innocent animal. And Adam, for the first time, saw what death, through that animal, the Holy Spirit impressed upon his mind the significance of death. And the reason now for Christ, that Christ was going to take away your sin. He was going to pay the wages for your crime. And now man had something to really hope for. But they had to wait for this hope. So Genesis 3.15, um, it's not in your notes. We, we are, I, I hope that everyone who understands the gospel, even if you don't know anything about the Bible, you should know Genesis 3.15. This is where God promised to send a seed. He promised to send them someone who was going to pay for their sins by giving his life. So Adam and Eve hoped for that person, that Messiah, that one, that, that living lamb, not the, art of, not, the, not the animal lamb. That was just the evidence that God was going to provide a lamb. So from that day forward, man began to look for the lamb of God from that day forward. So God now had to supply to keep that hope that he gave Adam and Eve, he had to keep it alive in man. And the way that the Lord keeps his hope alive in man is prophecy. The Lord had to reveal to man that Christ was going to come. Christ was going to come. And he had to give them evidences to sustain the fact that Christ was going to come. And this is where we get this, the, the, the examples of types and prophecies from. So now, but I don't want us to miss this. Adam took the first life of a beast. Adam was the first one to kill something in this earth. Yeah. 
He killed a beast. And the last Adam Christ, when he comes, he's going to kill a beast. Because Jesus declares the last Adam from the first Adam. This is what my brother Rashad was going over. So Adam killed the first beast, and Christ is going to kill the last beast. This is what Christ is going to do. The, all the sins of Adam and Eve was placed upon that beast, and just before Christ come, all the sins is going to be placed upon a beast, and Christ is going to take the life of that beast. But before, the, before Christ can take the life of that beast, Christ needs to take all the sins upon him, to make a transfer from our sins to himself and then to the beast, which is the scapegoat, and then he's going to take the life of that beast. This is prophecy. And now the church had to look forward to this hope. And God had to keep this hope alive by giving evidences that to support the message in which he gave them. So let us walk through history a little bit. Walk through history with me for a little while. So Adam was the first Seventh-day Adventist. He had to keep the Sabbath. He had to keep God's commandment, and he, had to, and he had to keep the sacrificial system. And these three things was, that, was to give him evidence that Christ was going to pay for breaking the law and that the Lord gave them the Sabbath as a symbol of rest. At the end of the week, man had rest. And the Lord was teaching man through the natural Sabbath that at the end of six days of toil and labor in this earth, Christ was going to give them rest. So the Sabbath was evidence to give us hope that one day God's really going to give us rest. He's really going to give this to us. And we're not to let the enemy steal this hope from us by hiding the Sabbath from our view. By losing the Sabbath, we lose sight of that hope. By losing the atonement, we lose sight of that hope. By not keeping the commandment, we lose sight of that hope. So you come to Abraham. And God now gives more evidence. Abraham didn't have a son. But Abraham thought that he can transgress God's law and bring a son in the earth through transgression by marrying another woman and that God would accept that son. But God is not going to accept the work of man's hands. The son that Abraham had to have would have to be the work of God. Isaac was a child of promise. Isaac was the first one in the Bible that was born by a woman that was seeing menopause. She couldn't make children. And the Bible says Abraham was also dead. I don't know what it means for a man to not to make children, but Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90 years old, way beyond the scope of making children. And the Lord through that illustration was teaching them that the church had to wait a long time for that which they hoped for. Abraham hoped for a child and Sarah and they didn't get this child, but the Lord promised he's going to give them a seed. A seed will come. And Abraham thought that God wasn't sure about this promise, and he lost sight of prophecy because of his wife. And the Lord had to heal him from this misunderstanding and gave Abraham a son. And through this son, the Lord now says, Abraham, take now, Genesis 22, take now thine only son Isaac, and offer him up. Why is Isaac Abraham's only son? Because he was the only one of promise. Amen. Isaac did not come by Abraham's work nor Sarah's work. Isaac was a living, breathing miracle because Jesus is a living, breathing miracle. He did not come by the work of a man and the woman only gave a body for God to live in that man. There's our hope. So then Abraham took Isaac and he went to go sacrifice him. As he went to go sacrifice him, God says, Abraham, now I know you fear God. 
Through that sacrifice, the Holy Spirit impressed upon Abraham the meaning of what he was doing. That as he, the father, was offering up his only son, so God, the father, was going to offer up his only son. That came by promise. And Abraham and God kept that hope alive in Abraham that God was really going to send his son to take away our sins. So Abraham continued his walk with God. But the Lord added another hope in Abraham. We didn't see this one with, with um, Adam, but this one he shows, it's with Adam, but it's in symbols. But the Lord revealed it more plainly to Abraham. He promised Abraham a land. He says, Abraham, I'm going to give you this land. This land is yours. But did Abraham get that land? No. But what was the evidence he was going to get the land? Isaac. Isaac. Yeah. Yeah. Isaac, he had to wait a long time for Isaac. That gave him evidence. Oh, after Christ died and resurrected, then we'll get the land. So we have to wait for the death, the resurrection, and the plan of God to fulfill. And, then, and Abraham died in faith for that which he hoped for. And when Christ come the second time, he's going to give him the hope that he had. So continue. Let's walk down through history. So you come to Moses. We're jumping over a lot of people here. Come to Moses. Moses, now God had to rekindle this hope that a Messiah was coming, that they were going to get the land. So the Lord now come to fulfill the promise naturally to the children of Abraham by literally giving them a land as the evidence that they were going to get the land in the future. Just like God gave Abraham a son as an evidence that Christ was going to come, now he gave the children the land that they were really going to get the land after the sacrifice. And God came to deliver Israel from out of bondage. So the land we get after we come out of bondage. So the Lord gave Israel something to hope for. He gave them a land to keep the fire that God was really going to give them back to earth, but free from bondage and sin. When they got the land, they were to be free from bondage and sin. And this was the evidence that we're going to get this earth made new, free from Pharaoh and bondage and sin. So we now have something to hope for that we're really going to get a land and we're really going to get an offering. Christ was going to come. So God kept this faith alive in his people and they were still Seventh-day Adventists. They had to keep the Sabbath. They had to keep the commandment, and they, they had to keep the, the, the atonement system. But this time, Christ gave the sanctuary system to help them to understand, to learn from that system, what the Messiah was going to do when he come, how he was going to work in the earth. So the sanctuary system was the evidence for them to look forward to Christ when he comes to begin the work of the real sanctuary. That's what Christ gave them. God always gives us evidence to keep the hope that we're hoping for alive. And so walk down through history. You come to, let's say, David. David understood this hope. And in Psalms 22, David said, they pierced my hands and my feet. David saw through prophecy that Christ's hands and feet was going to be pierced. And David confessed his sin upon that sacrifice. David didn't confess his sin upon lambs and bulls. We, David said, sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not. But a, but a body has thou prepared for me. David saw that he was really confessing his sin upon Christ. And David longed for that. He longed for his sins to be blotted out by Christ. Prophecy kept the hope alive in the heart of David. Who cannot read the story of David and see that it's filled with nothing but prophecy? David was a prophet of the Most High God. Let's walk down through history. To keep this hope alive, 
This time, God didn't only tell them the Messiah was going to come in the book of Daniel. God gave them the day and the hour of his coming. He says, Daniel, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people to finish the transgression and to make an end of sin and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in the, the, bring in the everlasting covenant. And know ye therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to reveal unto the who? Messiah the Prince shall be three score and five on, in um, two weeks and the Messiah shall be cut off but not for himself. So God now gave the time when that which Adam, Abraham, Moses, David, Samuel, Jacob all hoped for. Now the hope was going to come. And then you go into the New Testament and John says, Behold the hope of God Amen. that takes away the sin of the world. He is here. Man no longer need to hope for a Messiah. He is here. And Christ died for our sins. But guess what Christ didn't get? The land. Amen. He didn't get the land. So man needs, Christ now needs to keep this hope alive in man that they're going to get the land. So he says in John 14, 6, I go to prepare a land for you. That when I go, when I come and return, I shall take you with me. Christ now goes to prepare, to put everything in place to get the further, the further promises that was promised to him. He, he gave his life. He rescued man from sin, but now he must get the land. But there are certain steps necessary in order to get this land. Amen. Now, man now had to look forward to the second advent of Christ. And guess what they had to keep? The commandment, the Sabbath, and an understanding of the sanctuary. It doesn't change. So man now needs to keep this hope alive in their heart that Christ is going to come the second time. From the moment Jesus spoke those words... <laughs> I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I shall come again. From that moment on, Jesus began to give them evidences that he was going to come the second time. We're not looking for evidence that Christ came, is coming the first time. He completed that. We're now looking back to the evidences that was already given and how he fulfilled that. Now we're looking for all the evidences that lets us know he's really coming the second time. But the only way we can have this is through prophecy. Why am I going through all of this? You see, Satan understands that prophecy is what keeps the hope alive in the church. Amen. He knows that through prophecy, the, the fire that God has placed in our hearts will keep burning as long as we see prophecy fulfilled. Amen. Every time prophecy is fulfilled, it keeps the hope that God has given us burning. It keeps us burning. And hearts burn within them when we see prophecy fulfilled. But so Satan learned, if I can take away their hope, if I can make them lose sight of seeing how prophecy is fulfilled, then they will just wither down and die and come into the world and sin with me. That was his plan. He tried it through paganism and it worked on many people. Many people fell through the system of religion that he's instituted to hide prophecy from the eyes of the sons of God. And it was hid from them. But Christ did not leave men in that hopeless state. He, kept, he sent prophets. He sent judges. He sent er everyone to keep the hope alive in Israel. Some accepted, some rejected. Some accepted, some rejected. And for the second coming, Christ sends prophets, Martin Luther, Tyndale, Jerome, Huss, Wycliffe, William Miller, James White, Joseph Bates, Ellen White, and 
there has to be people at the end of the world keeping this hope alive. Amen. There has to be people who are recognizing the fulfillment of prophecy that the fire that Jesus is really going to come the second time is kept alive and burning. Now let's look at Ezekiel. Go with me to Ezekiel 37, verse 11 and 12, please. So remember, now faith is a substance of things hoped for. Let's read what Ezekiel says about this. Remember, we went over Ezekiel this week, 37, and we saw that the bones was dry. And my brother Romario touched on it some more. And we touched on it showing that it was prophecy that gave life to the bone. But I want us to see why the bones were dry. Can I read it, please? Uh, yeah. Ezekiel 37 and verse 11 says, Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dry and our hope is lost. Start right there. What did they say? Their, the bones are dry and their hope is lost. Why is their hope lost? Just read verse 12. We don't need to go through the whole thing. You can read this on your own. Read Therefore, prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Praise God. Prophecy gave them something to hope for. Notice what God says. I did open your grave. No, that's not what he said. He says, I will open your grave. So God had to resurrect them through prophecy, breathe his spirit into them so that they can see God opening their graves. Why? Because as God gave them back spiritual life, they got evidence that he's really going to open up our graves when we die in this life. Amen. When we die in this life, the assurance that we're going to, brethren, every time you sleep, you're given evidence that you're going to die and resurrect. Natural sleep is evidence that everyone who dies, one day they're going to wake up and see the sun. Not the literal sun, the son of God. Literal death is evidence to everybody living that we work, we work the whole day. The Bible says sleep is death. We work the whole day and then we die. And we wake up to begin the next day. So Christ says, you work your whole life with toil and labor, and then your breath is gone. But guess what? You're going to wake up again. And you're either going to wake up with me, or you're going to wake up still with your heart against me. Because before you died, you died like Abraham in faith. How did he die in faith? By holding on to that which, we, which he hoped for. And Ezekiel 37 says, because they died like that, God resurrected them and fulfilled the hope. But there's another class who died without an understanding of prophecy. They didn't hope for anything. So when they resurrect, the Lord gives them that, gives them that truth that they see, which is death. Death. Because all that was on their mind was death. They died in a state of death. To die in a state of death is not to know God. They died not knowing God, so they're going to resurrect and die never, ever knowing God forever. Because they, they didn't hope for him. Prophecy keeps the hope of God alive in our heart. And Satan understands that. So Jesus came. We're going to deal with these things as we go on some more. Jesus came, destroyed paganism. He took a, he, Jesus overthrew the system that was hiding the prophecy from the people's mind. Well, guess what Satan did? He raised up another system to attack prophecy. He rose up, we went over this, the Roman Catholic Church. He rose up that abominable system to fight against the more short of prophecy, to hide from man that which God says would be in this earth. And let's roll on. So now we're going to go into our next portion of this. I just wanted us to see, 
to, to, to get a little glimpse that prophecy keeps the hope alive. And as we go through this seminar, our goal is to keep the hope alive that Jesus did come and he's coming again. And we're supplying the evidences that, that, that is designed to awaken our conscience to the fact that Christ is coming again and we need to seek him and prepare for this coming. So now let us walk through. Um, go, let's, we're not going to read um, 2 Peter, but before I do, I want to introduce this thought to us. Matter of fact, I'll jump over it for right now. By the grace of God, we'll go over it another time. <clears throat> so you have in your notes talking about the drunkard, and that's the one I said I was going to jump over. It's a nice thought. Prophecy heals the drunken understanding, but I'm going to go over that for right now. Some really nice thoughts with that. If you can read the notes, it, says, it lists the remedies for someone who's drunk, and it says the only thing a person can do when he's drunk, I'm going to sum it up, is time. Time is the only way to heal drunkenness. And you know what else they said? Hydration. They said time, sleep, rest, and hydration. These are the three remedies that basically can get rid of drunkenness. Nothing else will work. Nothing will, nothing will help your drunkenness. Eating food does not suck the alcohol out of your blood. It doesn't do that. Drinking water purges the system. That's what, what It helps the kidney to flush out the toxin that you put into your body. That's why a drunk person should drink an immense amount of water. But the best way to avoid that is just, just don't drink at all. That's the best way to avoid. Just don't drink at all. Prophecy is man's water, it's man's rest, and it's man's what? It's man's time. In order to understand prophecy, we have to spend time with prophecy. And as we spend time with prophecy, the Lord has an opportunity to heal our drunken understanding. And now he gives us water to drink, not natural water, the water of life. And now he gives us rest. He teaches us to keep the Sabbath. That's what he's going to do. Time, change of surrounding, and communion with God is the best remedy to heal drunkenness. Amen. And that's what nature says. Literally, that's what nature teaches us. That this is the way to heal time, change of surrounding, and communion with God. Hydration is communion with God. Rest is a change of surrounding. In order to sleep, man needs a comfortable area to sleep in. He needs to come out from the busyness of life in order to rest a while and to get that rest. So you need to change your surrounding. In other words, the Sabbath offers us time, change of surrounding, and communion with God. God designed that the Sabbath is the change of, it change, the Sabbath changes our mindset. It changes it. it. It gives us time to contemplate God. And now God can give us a pure hydration from heaven so that the next week we can begin it anew with him. The Sabbath is very important. And that's why Satan seeks with all his effort to hide this from man. Because there's a real blessing in understanding the Sabbath. The Sabbath is rest. And Jesus says, I'm the rest. The Sabbath is designed to give us Christ. It's designed to lead us to Christ. Now on our notes, Peter says, we have also a more short of prophecy that we do well, that we take heed as onto a what? A light that does what? In a dark place. Okay, what do you need light for? Does a light work in the daytime? No. Why do you need it? It's daytime. Yeah. There's no need for light. So prophecy is designed for the dark time. Prophecy is designed for our dark and understanding. So what is dark? Can you read Job 10, please? Job 10. What is the dark? Job 10. Before I go, whence, whence shall I um, return? Even to the land of darkness and the shadow of death, a land of darkness as darkness itself, and of the shadow of death, without any order. You can stop right there. So what is darkness? The shadow of death. Without what? Any order. So prophecy is, for, is, prophecy is specifically for a time of no order. 
the bones were scattered. There was no order. And Ezekiel prophesied and brought back what? Order. order. So Psalms 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not, no, can you read that please? I shall not, not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no Stop evil. Stop right there. So David says, the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the place of no order, Amen. I will fear no evil. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd. And John 10 teaches us how the shepherd leads by his voice. My sheep hear my voice whenever the time is dark. And Ezekiel says, God says, Ezekiel prophesied to the bones, and the bones heard God's voice, and they brought order back to themselves. My friends, I just want to say to us that if your life has no order right now, we need to come to a place where we really recognize that prophecy is a remedy for whatever state your life is in right now. It really is. Prophecy brings order to our life, whether it be sickness, marriage, business, family, friends, religion, government, it doesn't matter. Prophecy means more than just events coming to pass. This We're going to look into this. It's also lessons that we learn from the Bible. And this is the next thing we're going to look into. In Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says, that's the next one, right? Yes. Genesis chapter 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without void, void form, form and void. And what? Darkness. No, no order. order was upon the face of the deep. Amen. And the Spirit of God moves when there is no order. Amen. The Holy Spirit always moves when there's no order. And those who hear the voice of the Spirit, Paul Peter says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scriptures of any private interpretation, get this, but holy men of God spake as they were what? Move by who? The Holy Ghost. So when there's no order, God always raises up men who are moved by the Holy Spirit to prophesy to the people of God to give them something to hope for. And if they hear the voice of the Spirit through that man, Jesus will now speak directly to them by saying, Let there be order. Amen. Let there be light. Let there be light. And the Bible says, and there was light. Order. There was order. There was order. When there's no prophecy, it creates an atmosphere of no order. As long as prophecy is kept alive in God's church, it will always keep people in order. If, if, he's not the author of what? If they're willing not to cause confusion. Confusion comes when we resist the prophecy. Jesus says, and this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world. That what? Light. That order has come into the world. But men love a place of no order, and they won't come to the order, because order reveals that our deeds are evil. Prophecy reveals the evils of our deed, my deed, your deed. But if, we're, if our work is wrought in God, we will come to the truth and put away the evils of our doings. Amen. That's what we'll do. Evil creates chaos. No evil creates order. Prophecy is designed to keep the evils out. Amen? Amen. Uh, next one. What's the next one? It's some rules. Okay, can you, yes, all right. 
So this next part that we're going to go into, <clears throat> this part is very important. And this is the part that I really wanted to get to and I wanted to build to it. In GC 343 paragraph 1, can you read that for us please? Uh, those out there, if you remember early on in the week, we talked about some helpful tools. And I want to encourage us again to download the EGY2 app and the, the eSword and the, the, the Dic Webster's 1828 Dictionary and the Merriam, the 1828. I love how Merriam words certain things, the 1828 Merriam's Webster's Dictionary. And we want to encourage you to get these tools that will help us to understand proxy. And if you don't know how to acquire them, please reach out to us and we'll do everything that we possibly can to help to guide you in how to get these and how to use these things. So now let's read Great Controversy 343, paragraph 1. The work of God in the earth presents from age to age a striking similarity in every great reformation or religious movement. The principles of God's dealing with men are ever the same. The important movements of, of the present have their parallel in those of the past, and the experience of the church in former ages has lessons of great value for our own time. Praise God. In this quote, she says, the, the, the work of God on the earth presents from age to age a striking similarity where in every great reformation or religious movement, keep this in mind, there's only been a handful of great reformatory movements. Every time there's a great reformatory movement, God is setting up a new church, a new body. I'm not going to go into, we're going to go into this later on in our study, and I want us to understand this. But by the grace of God, we'll get some reform line videos that really highlights this, this very clearly. But I just want to focus on, she says, the, she says there are parallels. History is a parallel. So our history parallels with past histories, especially the great reformatory movements. But she also says there are lessons of great value. So I want us to understand that the Bible present, the Bible is given to us in two ways. It presents parallels, which we can't change. If, if um, um, such as the, ch the church was in, the, in captivity to Babylon for 70 years. So in the New Testament, God's church must go into captivity to Babylon for a period of time. And you can't change that parallel. It must take place. But at the same time, every story in the Bible has lessons of great value to us. Now I want us to get understand this part. The lessons is really what gives us life. That's what gives us the life. Understanding the spiritual lessons is evidence that you have a spiritual mind. And if you can see spiritual things, it means the Holy Spirit is really working upon your heart. The Holy because spiritually things are what? Amen. So the evidence that you have the Holy... God wants us to know that we have the Holy Spirit. He wants us to know that. He, because the evidence that we belong to God is when we can comprehend spiritual things. Because the Bible says the natural man received not the things of the Spirit of God, but it's foolishness to him. So spiritual lessons from God's word is foolishness to the natural man that only wants to see things on a natural level. He doesn't want to see anything outside of um, the papacy fell in 1798. Even the atheist can see that because it was the atheist that took the papacy off the throne. Amen. 
So even they understand that the papacy fell in 1798. But they won't go anything beyond when I say, yeah, but did you know that represents the beginning of the world? Darkness was upon the face of the deep. The papacy was the darkness upon the face of the deep. And for 1260 years, the Spirit of God, prophets, moved up and down in the 1260. Martin Luther, Tyndale, Jerome, and Huss moved up on the face of the deep during the 1260. And at the end of the 1260, after the work of the Protestant Reformation, Jesus says, let there be light. And there was light, and I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell where? On the earth that was, that was without form and void and darkness. And the first angel's message came to put the church back in order with God. That's what it did. That was a lesson. I just took a lesson and illustrated that. So now I want to, after that is, is trends, right? No, there's a quote. Here's a quote. Yeah, can you read that quote, please? Yes, can you read that, please? Notwithstanding the fact that Gabriel gives a plain narrative, the very words he uses, and the, the facts which he selects from the, the multitude of events which actually transpired have a significance. In reading God's word in any of its parts, there is first to be found the story which lies on the surface, and secondly, the deeper meaning, which is just as truly there, but which must be sought for as with a lighted candle. You want me to stop there? You can stop there. Okay. So he says there are deep spiritual what? Lessons. What's after that? Um, I'm going to read this quote from Prophets and Kings. Is that the one? Um, it starts with 1 Corinthians 15. Well, I think it's okay. No, it's 1 Corinthians 15. Okay, in 1 Corinthians 15, um, should, um, let me debate if I'm going to go through that. Yes, okay, yes. Read 1 Corinthians 15. I want to read the whole thing. I want to give a spiritual lesson in there that I hope will help everybody. Read 1 Corinthians 15, please. 1 and 2 and then onward. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preach unto you. You can start right there. So how are we saved? To keep, keep in memory. By keeping memory what's preached unto us. And I saw another angel having the everlasting gospel to what? To give people something to keep in memory. Because this is our hope. If we keep this in memory, this is our hope. So what is the enemy of souls going to do? Make you forget. What makes people forget? Alcohol. Yeah. False, doctrine. false doctrine make false prophecy leads to forgetfulness. That's what it leads to. All right, you can continue. I'm not going to spend some time. I just want to see we're saved if we keep in memory what is preached unto us by the gospel. That's how we're saved. And Jesus says, um, and this gospel that you keep in memory shall be preached unto all the world and, and for a witness unto every nation. And then he says what? If you endure unto the end, what? How do we endure unto the end? By keeping in memory. We have to keep in memory to the end and then we shall be saved. But what do we have to keep in memory? This is what we're going over. The fourth commandment says there's something to keep in memory. Amen. And if we don't keep that in memory, we're not going to be saved. Just read the fourth commandment when you get a chance. It begins by saying, keep this commandment. Not the first commandment, not the second commandment, not the third commandment, not the sixth, not the seventh, not the eighth, not the fifth, not the ninth, not the tenth. 
this one. Keep this one in your memory because this is the one that's going to save you at the end of the world. In fact, if you keep this one, you keep all of them. Yep. Understanding this one will lead your heart to want to keep the other nine. So just read the fourth commandment when you get a chance. Continue. Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. But some, but some man will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Thou fool, that which thou sawest is not Amen. quickened, except it die. And that which thou, thou sowest, thou sowest not. Stop right here. Please listen to what my brother is reading carefully. Please, if you have the notes, please follow. I don't want to submit. Just follow, because what I'm about to say after he reads, I pray that the people of God will understand. Continue. And thou which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be. But, but, be, but bear grain. It may change of wheat or of some other grain. But God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him. God does what? Gives, giveth it a body as it hath pleased him. All right, him. continue. And to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fish, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. For one star differeth from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. You can it start is right there. After that, Paul goes into first comes that which is natural, natural. afterward that which is what? Do y'all know why Paul is saying that? Paul is teaching that every Christian who dies and resurrects, we're all going to have a different body. Amen. We're not all going to have the same body. Nature teaches that. You plant a wheat, it doesn't come up the same. It's given a completely new body. But notice what Paul says, God is going to give it a body that pleases him. Whatever character we develop, God is going to give us a body to hold that character. In other words, you're preparing your own body. As a Christian, you're building your own house, whether through obedience. And how much character you're willing to develop, that's the body God's going to give you to hold that character you built with Christ. This is what Paul is saying. We're not going to come up the same. We're all, every star different from another star. And that's why he goes on to say, when, but how are we going to identify each other? By our voice. That's how we're going to recognize each other. By our voice. Just like when Jesus resurrected, Mary looked at him, but she didn't know that was Christ. Because he had a different body. But when Jesus says, Mary, Master, it's you. Touch me not. I've not yet ascended to my Father. There's a spiritual lesson in there. Whenever we wake up in the morning... We're not to do anything but go to God first. Amen. Whenever we wake up in the morning, just like Jesus resurrected Sunday morning, the first thing we must do is worship God. That's the first thing. We're not to allow anybody to touch us. We're not to, meaning, don't have any conversation with anyone until you go to your creator first for waking you up that morning. There's wonderful lessons all through the Bible, all through the Bible. But back to the study. So go down now. So I just want us to see that there's prophecy. I really want us to understand this. There's prophecy 
And then there's lesson that prophecy teaches. And we're never to confuse the two. There's a reason why I'm saying this. We are never to take the lesson and make it the prophecy and take the prophecy and make it the lesson. Prophecy is prophecy and a lesson is a lesson. And we must set a difference between the two. Um, can, um, Rashad, can you find a verse for me in Jeremiah where it says separate the precious from the vile? For after this, we're going to go into, it's the transgen stuff, right? First Corinthians. I think it's Jeremiah 15. Okay, can you read PK and then it's that, right? After PK, then we're going to read, all right, after PK, we're going to read Jeremiah 15. And right around these areas where we're going to close out. How much time do I have left? Six, Six minutes. Okay, so PK. PK 2.31, paragraph 3. Many are the, the spiritual lessons to be gathered from the story of the healing of the waters. The new, the new cruise, the salt, the spring, all are highly symbolic. I love that. The, the salt, the water, the cruise. What she's commenting on is a story where Elijah threw salt in the water to heal it because the water wasn't good to drink. And that story, she says, has many other spiritual lessons in that story. Brothers and sisters, because God is eternal, the Bible has eternal lessons. Amen. But he only gives us the lesson when we're in a dark place. If we don't need it, why would he give it? Amen. When man falls into darkness, then God gives the lesson to help him to come out of darkness. That's why we have to understand prophecy. We only need the gospel when we're in darkness. Adam and Eve didn't need it until they entered into darkness. And now to keep the gospel alive, Christ had to keep continually giving prophecy, or in other words, make events come to pass to keep making us sure about what we believe in. That's what the more short of prophecy is. When every time prophecy is fulfilled, it makes more sure that which is not yet fulfilled. Amen. And it keeps our hope alive. In other words, brothers and sisters, if you have a goal, you're hoping for something. Mm -hmm. And because you hope for that goal, you walk towards it. If I take away that goal, you stop walking. So if I remove prophecy, Satan realized that by removing prophecy, you stop walking towards heaven. And you now linger on earth because you don't know the way to heaven anymore. You don't know how to get there. But praise God, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to heaven unto the Father but by me. We want to go to heaven. We have to understand prophecy. Prophecy lights up the way to heaven. It gives us the lessons we need that we might not sin against God when darkness comes our way. That's what prophecy does. We need to know where an event is going to be fulfilled, but the lessons tells us what to do after we see the fulfillment of the events. That's what the lesson, the same prophecy that tell you was going to be fulfilled, the same prophecy has a lesson of what to do when you see this thing fulfilled. But without the Holy Spirit, you can't see this lesson. You can't see it. Now I'm going to take a story and give you a lesson. Read Jeremiah, please. I'm going to take, I'm going to take a world event and, to, and illustrate to us a lesson that we get from the world event that we're now dealing with as people on planet Earth. It's a darkness that we're dealing with, right? It's a terrible darkness. But in that darkness, God's light is to shine. So let us read Jeremiah 15, correct? Yes, 15, 19. 
15:19. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, if thou return, then will I bring bring thee again, and thou shalt stand before me. And if thou take forth the precious from the vial, thou shalt be as my mouth. Let them return unto thee, but return not thou unto them. Okay, so to be considered as God's mouth, according to Exodus 4, his mouthpiece, someone who speaks for God will have the ability to separate the precious from the vile. And 1 Samuel says the word of the Lord was precious in those days. 1 Samuel 2 or 1 Samuel 3. You can, you can check it if you like to follow. I think it's 1 Samuel 2 or 3, the very first three verses or first five verses. So, the, so God's word is what's precious. So God said in that he's speaking to Jeremiah, but Jeremiah is an illustration of all the sons of God. Amen. And God says if you, can, if you separate the precious, the good word from the vile, you will be my mouthpiece. So what I attempt to do right now is to separate the precious from the vile. There's a darkness that's sweeping over this earth right now. And we all know of it. And I hope that this doesn't offend anybody. Our goal at this ministry is not to offend anybody. It's just simply to teach the word of God in hopes that souls will repent and come to Christ. Transgender is a darkness. Amen. It's a horrible darkness. Amen. It darkens the teachings of the Bible. The Bible says in the beginning, God made them male and female, made he them. There is no confusion on what a male is and what a female is. No confusion. You can't make a male a female and you can't make a female a male. That's confusion. But I want to say that a male can do female things and a female can do male things. Now I'm dealing with the lesson of a male cannot breastfeed a child. But a male can take care of a child like a mother. There are many single-parent single, single parent homes. There are fatherless homes and there are motherless homes. And the fatherless home, the mother has to be both the, the mother and the father. She has to, but she can't be the father naturally. But all the things that a father can do, such as lifting things, guiding the child, telling him right from wrong, that a mother can do. But she can't naturally teach that boy or girl, or I'm going to pick a boy. She can't teach the boy how to really be a man. She can only teach him the characters of a man, but she can't actually do that for him. So you know what the Lord showed through that? Every fatherless and motherless home is just night. The Bible says, um, there, aren't there 12 hours in a day? Um, when a man should work, the night cometh when no man can work. Whenever there's no father in the home, that home is night. Whenever there's no mother in the home, that home is night. And, if, and the mother and the father who, does, who, who is a single parent, if they turn to God, God will do for you that manly part that you as a mother can't do. God will do for you that womanly part that you as a father can't do. The Lord, because God is the one who made male and female. So if we make him our confidence, the Bible says, when our mother and father forsake us, what does the Bible say? God will take us up. He will fill that place of the single home. Amen. Transgender, what they do is they take the spiritual and literally try to make it real. They try to give breasts to a man. They try to give woman private parts. They're taking something spiritual and trying to give it a body, but the Bible, they're doing what people who take the Bible and trans-prophecy God's word. They take the lesson and try to make it the prophecy, and they take the prophecy and try to make it the lesson. That's just spiritual transgender. Yeah. You're doing the same thing. 
Transgender teaches us a spiritual lesson. I can play the role of a, of a mother, but I can't be a woman. I can't be one. I can take care of a child. I can nurture and comfort a child. I can feed the child. And, and, and if, you're, if you're a single father, it is good to take a child and lay with them and read with them, doing the very thing that a mother would do. But there are certain things you just won't be able to do. Like when, let's say you now have a girl. You can't teach her anything about her period. You don't know what that's like. But you know what God will do? The Lord, the Bible says, visit the, visit the, the widowless home and the fatherless home and the motherless home. This is a Christian responsibility. When you're a Christian, the responsibility of the church is to support the home that's fatherless and motherless. Yeah. Mothers should go to a, to a home that only has a father. And a father should go to a home that only has a mother. And, and do for that mother because this is what Elijah did with the widow woman. There was no father. And he went there to be the father for her and her child. So that gives us a lesson of how to help someone that has a single, that's a single mother and has a child. If you're a man, be the father for that woman and her child. And if you're a woman, be the mother for that, for that um, father without a mother. Every Christian is supposed to live this way. We're supposed to go about doing good for the kingdom of God. We're to look for motherless home and fatherless home and do what we can to help them. But transgender seeks to confuse these ideas and teach that a man can be a woman and a woman can literally be a man. That's physically, virtually impossible. You can't do it. But if they were to say that a mother can play like can be like a father, I would agree with that. Because the Bible does support something like that. How do I know? Because Jesus says, as a hen gatherer chicks, so I do what? Gather my children. But Jesus was a man. But he was fulfilling the characteristics of a mother for his children. Because a mother is a symbol of a church. And a father is a symbol of the state. And we're going to stop here, and in our next presentation, we're going to see why understanding prophecy and lesson is very, very important. We're going to see why Satan confuses these two things. He makes prophecy less, he takes the prophecy and try to make it a, and, and try to make it the lesson, or he'll take the lesson and try to make it the prophecy to what? To hide the prophecy. And he'll take the prophecy and try to make it the lesson to hide the lesson. And then we lose the order that we would have and fix the church. But God says, if you know how to separate the precious from the vile, I will make you my mouthpiece. Brethren, we need to, whenever we see confusion, we just need to go to work like Christ and try our best to separate the precious from the vile. And it starts with prayer. That's where it starts. The Bible says, you have not because you ask not. If any man lack the wisdom to separate the precious from the vile, let him ask of God. Transgender is evil, but transgender is only taking something that's good and making it evil. There is good, there's a good lesson in transgender, but it's an evil thing. There is good in the Catholic Church, but it's an evil system. We have to separate those two things. Why do we have to separate it? So that God's people can see the contrast between good and evil. 
and then make their decision to separate from the system that's promoting that evil by using the good. That's what we're supposed to do. And I pray that you heard God's voice in this presentation and by his mercies as we continue in the, the second part. I hope that we're encouraged to, to join again for the second part. Let us close out this part with a word of prayer and then we'll return in a few minutes. Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to thank you, O Lord, for, for your Holy Spirit that's, that's, that's here to help us and to guide us into all truth and to help us to understand the more sure word of prophecy. We also want to thank you for your holy angels that ministers to us, O Lord, and teach us the word of God. And Father, as we continue throughout this seminar, I pray that what was said was helpful to someone, that it would encourage them in the right direction. If something was said that was not clear to their understanding, please help them to have the courage to ask the question so that we can be given an opportunity to make clear that which was not clear to their mind. For the Word of God is clear, and the Word of God is designed to set order, to give people order so that they can order their lives aright. And I pray and ask, O oh Father, that you help us to, to set things in order so that people can, can come on to God and join the people of God in worshiping God together and keeping His seventh-day Sabbath together. Please have mercy upon us as we continue this seminar, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.